uh, we're doing this a little differently. This is the Extra Innings Podcast uh, coming live to you from the palatial estate that is called the Reserve at Arrowhead <laughs> on the kitchen table here. Uh, I'm sitting uncomfortably close to Larry Stone right now because of, well, just a pure lack of technology <laughs> and understanding any of this stuff. We're choosing to record this podcast via my cell phone and a recording system and then transferring it to my computer uh, we are not good at technology. If you've ever seen Larry take a picture with a cell phone, it is not good. Um, so we're going to try it this way and see if it works out. And I don't know. Say something, Larry. Well, I'm just I'm just as happy that I don't have to f- try to remember what my Skype password is, <laughs> yes. which befuddles me every week we try this. So uh, I'm just as happy to be talking into a phone and not having to worry about uh, uh, the technology of uh, being a part and figuring out how to make this work so and i take a, a cell phone picture perfectly fine thank yeah, you very I, much I'm, just, I'm sitting enough close enough to larry to know that i think he uses right guard for his deodorant i'm just <laughs> um all right well what we're gonna do is just kind of go through spring training i've been here for since february 12th what is today today's sunday it's sunday night right now we just watched the oscars which was which was Totally bizarre and crazy. Yes, yes. <laughs> as everybody knows. Yes, everybody's going nuts. Larry and I have seen like two of the. I've seen none of the movies. Larry's seen two. He actually was singing the chorus of La La Land earlier. Um, but we'll go through spring training and what we've kind of observed, and maybe we'll go through some of the stories. Uh, I think first thing we'll start with is Larry's story on the big three, which ran today in Sunday's paper. Um, now it's the big one, a really tall Canadian one. But Larry, kind of. Talk about where you came up with the idea for the column and and how you executed it. Well, it was actually at the uh, Mariner spring training, uh, pre-spring training luncheon about a month ago when James Paxton was up on the podium, and it struck me. You know, I, I've probably done as much uh, hyping of the big three as anyone as they came up. I've done. I even flew to Jackson, Miss, uh, not Mississippi, Jackson, Tennessee, when when Walker. Hultson and Paxton were in their absolute heyday there and just tearing up the Southern League and did a big story uh, on them. And it struck me when James was up there that he's the last one standing. And I asked him a question about it at the press conference, and he gave a good answer about how weird it was. He thought they were all going to be there together. And that just got me thinking that it would be uh, kind of fun and, and instructive to, to take a closer dive into that and you know how it got to be that way and just sort of what it meant uh, about prospects and how hard it is to predict what they're going to do and uh, the likelihood that if you have three like that, they're all not going to make it. So, you know, I, I drove to Arizona to talk to Taiwan, drove you there d- twice. You drove to Scottsdale, <laughs> not Arizona. Be yeah, a not, yeah, well, I mean Arizona, I guess. I drove, yeah, you're right. I drove to Scottsdale, which is about an hour away with the traffic in the morning. And the first day I went there, I never was able to get Taiwan, so I had to go back the next day. But I finally got him. I got Danny Holson on f- phone, via phone from the University of Virginia, where he's now a student. And he was incredibly uh, uh, honest and blunt about what, has, you know where he felt he went wrong. He's the one that's probably not going to make it. He's still harboring hopes of a comeback, but he's had two major reconstructive shoulder surgery, and the odds are astronomical against him coming back. But I give him credit for giving it one more try. And then you got Paxton, who's the only one here, and uh, you know the Mariners are still hoping that he's going to become a star. I think he's got a good chance. I think Taiwan's got a good chance to to really be a good major league pitcher. But it's been a lot slower than anyone expected for those two. And then Danny Holson suffered that 
that injury that's probably derailed his career. Yeah, I miss Holtzen. He's like the nicest guy oh, in the absolutely. world. Just the best guy. And he is super honest. I think, you know, he kind of like what you, what you talked about when he first came up, he always wanted to say the right things. And then he became a little more honest. He just, he's great. Um, and really, if you think about it, at the time when they were in double A, it seemed like he had kind of passed Taiwan mm-hmm. and James, and he was going to be the first one to the big leagues, and he was going to be the guy because he he was so much more advanced. Like Taiwan was really mm-hmm. raw, and Paxton still couldn't really figure out where he was going with his mechanics or with the command. And, and Danny came in, and he had a a, a plus curveball and a, an outstanding changeup to go with the mid nineties fastball. And you thought, man, this guy is going to be the guy. Yeah, the, Paxton made that comment that he was the, the, the sharpest of the three of them and the, the most polished, and everyone thought he was going to be the first, and he was on the verge of it. He went, he had like a 119 ERA in the Southern League that year and got promoted, I think that was 2012, and got promoted to Tacoma, uh, finished the year with Tacoma, then started the next year in Tacoma, and I think everyone thought that if he just pitched well, he was going to be up by that, the middle of that season. That's when he got the shoulder problems, and, and what he said to me, which was so fascinating, I thought was that the whole big three thing kind of got in his head and he thought he had to live up to that and uh, it just played with his mind and he when he got hurt he didn't think he he, he he felt he couldn't tell anyone that he was hurt, and he pitched through it because he he said, "I'm the guy who was supposed to be so good, the guy who was supposed to never get hurt." And uh, he said he just went into a mental his words were a mental ditch that he couldn't get out of, and uh, you know he wishes he could have done it differently. He maybe he would have been more cautious, and maybe be, be, he'd be pitching right now. But you know, uh, unfortunately, shoulder surgeries. Look at uh, Mark Pryor, who had something very similar and made comeback after comeback, but never but never was able to come back. And, uh, you know, Danny really worked hard to make a comeback after his surgery and ended up tearing all that stuff again, the rotator cuff, the the capsule and whatever the other and, thing is. That and the labrum, labrum yeah. all in different spots. Yeah, I mean, I mean so, you know, uh, bless him for trying, but I just don't see how he's going to come back. No, I think the kid will be successful in whatever he does. He's just, he works too hard. He's too good of a kid, but, you, you know, we watched him that year. I watched him a lot. I was covering Tacoma a little bit at the time. And that start, you know, the start when he came back after the shoulder surgery, I think he struck out eight or nine guys in six innings. And you thought that he was two starts away yeah. from going to be in the big leagues. And and I think everybody in the Mariners thought that. And then the next thing you know, they shut him down again and really never pitched a meaningful game again. You know, he, he threw a couple innings after he came back after shoulder surgery at Jackson, got shut down again. He threw some stuff uh, in, in the Cactus League games, but he never, ever was there. And then you were – I was gone last year on my little – three-day break to Vegas when they announced that he was being shut down again. You had to talk to him that time, too. That couldn't have been enjoyable. No, yeah, he was just sort of uh, stunned, shell-shocked. <laughs> you know, he was, as always, he was cooperative. I mean, he's one of the most uh, engaging guys I've ever covered. You know, you, you, you just a guy you really pull for, as you, you mentioned earlier. Just a great, great guy, but he was... He was trying to come to terms with the fact that the kind of I think the realization that that he had had another setback and it turned out to be I think worse even than he than he had imagined. Um, one I just remembered one of the most memorable games I, I covered involved Danny Holtz and I drove down to Tacoma when Jamie Moyer yeah. was making his uh, his final ditch effort. He wanted to pitch till he was 50 and I think he was 49 and he was in the minors. He'd been cut by about three organizations. He was with the t- Toronto organization so he pitched. They, they were sort of giving him a two 
to start tryout, I think, and this was the last start, and he started against Danny Olsen, so it was, a, I mean, as a columnist, you couldn't ask for more dramatic circumstances. The young, on-the-rise, 22 at the time-year-old kid against the 49-year-old veteran, yeah. and they both pitched well. Uh, Jamie actually pitched well, and Danny did did too, so it, it made for, uh, you know, it was an enjoyable writing day, but that was that that was really close to the beginning of the end for him and uh um you're right i mean of the of those three he never made it to the major leagues and that not even for a pitch and that's a, that's a deep regret that he has i remember the juxtaposition of that though moyer and holton because yeah. holton was throwing 95 i mean he was electric that game and yeah yeah that was that was pretty amazing well i, I mean i thought that you know jerry gave you some good stuff too i mean well jerry i mean <laughs> yeah. let's jerry can talk about any i mean jerry could talk about the phone book for 30 minutes and make it sound relatively interesting i just said hello and he pretty much <laughs> took it from there you know and and, and Larry and I are both, well, Larry's more than old enough to remember <laughs> Bill Pulsifer and Jason Isringhausen and Paul Wilson, but I do too. I remember having that Sports Illustrated with them on the cover. They were the thing. You were collecting baseball cards. You were trying to get all those guys. And I remember I always liked Pulsifer the best because he was kind of the lunatic out of the group. He was, a, you know, he's kind of the wild guy. And, and, and really only, I mean, Paul Wilson had some games. Pulsifer could never stay healthy. And Isringhausen had to be totally converted. Uh, and he, he actually had to change kind of how he threw because he threw that one the one breaking pitch that put a bunch of pressure on the elbow anyways. Um, no, it, was, it turned out well. I think it's been pretty, pretty well received. What, what was some of the feedback you got on it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, people seem to like it, you know. Uh, not too much feedback. Uh, I haven't really had time to peruse the comments or anything. Don't read <laughs> yeah. the comments, yeah. Larry. Don't. I, I, I try not to when I, whenever I can. Uh, it was pretty favorable on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, you know, the, just just to go back quickly to what you were saying about Pulsifer, Isringhausen, and Wilson, they 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 had this nickname Generation K, and they had yeah. T-shirts. And when they when they came up, uh, Jerry Depoto was a pitcher on the Mets when those guys were being hyped, so he had a very uh, interesting perspective on that. Uh, having he pretty much lived that, he was teammates with those guys. He saw the hype. He saw them. Uh, come up and and fail they all three of them ended up with tommy john surgery they were never teammates just like uh holson uh, uh walker and uh paxton those other three were never teammates on the team that they were supposed to lead uh, to, yeah. to, to 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 great heights um so so it, you know you there's uh, there was another one that i lived through when i was working in the bay area oakland oakland had uh Four picks in like the first fifty, and they pitched. They picked all pitchers, uh, including Todd Van Poppel, who had been a Sports Illustrated cover boy and the most highly touted pitcher of his of his time. And they uh, and they they were called uh, the the four aces, I think. And, yeah. Uh, might even have been five, but um, Dressendorfer, Zaccanaro. Um, I mean, names you don't even know because they never made it. They were on the cover of. Uh, Baseball America and really highly touted and Von Poppel was the only one who he had a like a eight or nine year career but he was never really as good anywhere close to being as good as he was supposed to be and Dressendorfer made the major leagues but very briefly and the other two guys uh, never did so it just when it's just amazing with pitching prospects how many of them that are are can't miss end up something happens it's usually an injury. And uh, that's what happened with Holtzen. The other two, it, it's been a little slower, but I still think Paxton and Walker are kind of poised to take off this year. You know, 
Mariners, former Mariners baseball information guru Jeff Evans, he texted me. He mentioned, uh, I think it was DVD in Texas. It was uh, John Danks and Edinson Volquez. I can't even remember who the other guy was. And you know, you get that you get these groups of pitchers like that, and it never seems at all of them. I guess Mulder, Hudson, and Zito would be yeah. the one you think of. But I mean, really, I don't know if they were hyped the way these guys were coming up. They just all kind of put it together at once. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Paxton and Walker can still be something in, in big league baseball the mariners need james paxton to be something in big in this year if they're going to have any success and, and you know i think the mariners also knew when they traded taiwan walker that there was a chance that he could put it all together and be really good i mean i know that you know pitching coach mel stoudemire you know he didn't love having to trade one of his guys away especially when he'd put in all that time with taiwan late and really felt like he was getting somewhere but at the same time it's hard to find good shortstops, and the Mariners don't have one in their system that you know can come in and step in and be that guy. So they, they looked at Taiwan and said they had to give up something to get something. I think they believe that if Taiwan isn't, you know, if he doesn't project to be the guy that everybody thinks, he's kind of a number four or five starter. Well, they were able to get those guys for minimal cost, but, you know, getting Gene Segura, they just didn't have players in the minor leagues that could get him. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I, you know, a lot of it's contingent. We've talked about with Taiwan's curveball. And with Paxton, it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess he essentially stayed healthy last year. There was the fingernail incident, but y- you just have to wonder if Paxton gave you 190 innings, what the results would be. If he yeah. gave you 190 innings, 30 starts. I mean, that, you know, they've been waiting for that for a long time. I, I guess he's probably as poised as ever to do it now, though. Yeah, and, I mean, DePoto just pointed out to me yesterday that uh, he almost did that. He had 179 innings, but as he as Jerry said, People don't realize that because it was split between Tacoma and Seattle. So, uh, you know, it's it's not that far from 175 to 200, you know, just a small step. If he can give him 200 innings, I think that would be a tremendous uh, – the, the odds are that he would have had a pretty good year if that happened. Uh, and the other thing to remember is that they got Mitch Hanniger in that trade too. So they got two projected starters. Uh, they did give up Marte, but uh, I think – the year Marte, it's certainly too early to write him off, but I think his his star was kind of on the fall after uh, after last year. Um, but Taiwan looked tremendous. I've got to say, uh, you know that that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. I realize that, but he 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 looked trim, trim and fit and strong. Uh, so we'll see if that translates to to having a good year. And he seemed motivated as well. Um, you know, he. You mentioned Mel Stottlemyre Jr. He, he was like a week away from having this uh, summit with that they'd been planning all off season. Yeah. And uh, this the trade was the day before Thanksgiving, and nobody saw it coming, including especially Taiwan. But they, he was going to go to Arizona and meet with Mel and you know work on stuff that they had worked on at the end of the year in about a week or two. And so, um, you know, that's how. Uh, that's how out of the blue this this deal was yeah taiwan was going to be in better shape i think just because he was healthy a lot of people made a big deal about the weight he gained mid-season well when he when he got diagnosed with the foot problems they were he was on they they didn't allow him to run anymore he was not able to run essentially all or do elliptical or do anything that put pressure on the foot essentially all he could do was ride a stationary bike you know for 30 minutes and and i mean you know i don't think he handled that well you know 
you don't burn as much calories and all that other stuff. And I think the whole situation frustrated him. It took him out of a whole, his whole routine uh, in terms of conditioning. And that's probably why he got the weight gain. And then I think, too, that, you know, he probably lo- saw the criticism and made a, an effort to, to, to drop some of the weight and come in more prepared. When you go to a new team, you want to do that. So I, I'm interested to see how he does. And I like the kid. I mean, yeah, you, me too. We, I mean it's, it's funny. We call him a kid, and, and he is still – well, I mean, you and I were there when they brought him in that year he was drafted. Yeah. Remember how young he looked? <laughs> do, oh yeah. man, he looked like he was 13 years old, but uh-huh. just a huge 13 year old. But he was, he was just a kid when they brought him in. I mean, every year we pretty much talked to him and seen him kind of, you know, evolve. Same with Paxton. You remember when Paxton was signed and he didn't know anybody in the clubhouse? Yeah. He just sat there every day by himself, yeah. just kind of looking around. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I. I I really thought Danny Holton would be the best out of the three when I when I first saw all three. That that was my thought. I always told people that, and inj- I think he would have been if injuries didn't derail it. You know, um, what you mentioned about Paxton and how, how he would just kind of sat there. And I tried a couple of interviews with him that first spring, and it was all monotone. And he was nervous, yeah. and and you know how far he's come. It's oh, incredible. It's... He's like you know he's a composed, polished you know young man now, and both. Uh, uh, service and Depoto have pointed out how he carry how he's carrying himself now with confidence and like a sense of belonging. You could really see that, and uh, you, you know, you, you, you sometimes you just forget that these guys are young and they, these these when they arrive in the the major leagues or even in the big big league camp and they're they don't know how to handle themselves and they're afraid of saying the wrong thing in front of their teammates and uh, you know you when you see the growth over a couple of years it can be quite quite amazing and I think uh, Paxton has come a lot farther than than many players do and uh, uh, I think that does that bodes well I think that translates onto the field as well it's a huge social experience mm-hmm. experience for these guys and that you know it is Paxton's got a really underrated sense of humor very dry very Canadian <laughs> but it is pretty good and he'll he'll drop some good ones in there um, but yeah no so that was your big story today. Let's go back to your other story. People, <laughs> people. I had a guy on Twitter accuse you of writing that story about hair just so you could post the picture of you with your large afro. <laughs> and I pointed out that the Seattle Times photo system wouldn't have the afro picture if it wasn't for me because I used it to mock you. Um, you and know, can I point out that I had nothing? I, I was as surprised as everyone when they posted that picture. That was not with my consent or my knowledge. So to I, I can uh, uh, put to rest what, uh, that that uh, fellow who thought that that was my motivation. That was a, most it's certainly still, not. I it's did. still an amazing photo. Um, <laughs> you know, like we when you get down here and and you can write a ton of analysis pieces and and look a lot of these stories are about what guys did in the off season what they want to do in this season and and you, you know so and it can be very dry you, you know you want to find different angles you want to have stuff that's fun because it can't be the same thing you know I one guy rail about the pool table last year because we wrote about it hmm. or yeah. you know write about the sing or something like that but it's just something different like you you can write these stories every day about a guy appearing in camp and all this other stuff and, and you do that and and there is you find stuff out what they're working on if they made changes their swing it's like the the pattern of spring training but to write something different you know like the hair and you've been around for many generations of hair from Oscar Gamble days of afros and I mean the 70s had long hair and then the 80s had mm-hmm. the mullets and God knows what else and the buzz cuts I mean and now it's just a mangy group of dudes in there with some really nasty hair 
Yeah, it reminds me of when Ty Cobb showed up that one year with the long hair, yeah. and, and I asked him about it, and he, he said, uh, yeah, yeah. he said he hung out with Babe Ruth in the off season, and and you're like, yeah, I called him on the on the telephone. Um, yeah, I got an email from somebody who said that uh, he wants analysis of the team. He doesn't want to read about hair, and I I said, well, it's a seven week spring training. You're going to get plenty of analysis. Uh, I just wanted to do a fun story, yeah. like you said, and uh, you know, go back to analysis the next day. Um, it was, I mean, it was just like the first time I walked in that clubhouse and I looked around and I saw hair everywhere, and and it just struck me that that would maybe make a fun story and it just so happened that our photographer had lots of photos of, of everybody with their long hair so it made a nice package and I, I thought it was a, f- a fun little story you know many of those guys won't probably won't make the team no. uh, you know Overton uh, Unsworth you know no chance uh, Zach Curtis very unlikely maybe second lefty yeah uh, is he's had back problems he's seemed to be in strong contention for the utility job and he probably mm. will be but he uh, I, I haven't heard what the latest diagnosis is but he hasn't done much the last few days he's been walking around very gingerly yeah and Gamble is the other one and uh, you know he's got a, good, a decent shot to make the team as, a, as the reserve outfielder but the way uh, Heredia has played, you know, the guy you wrote about for tomorrow's paper, so you could talk about that. But he's uh, he's looked good at the plate. He's made a couple of nice catches. He he looks like he's a lot more comfortable this year as well. So he's going to be, I think he's going to be a hard guy to beat out for that, uh, you know, uh, for that extra outfielder if they keep one. There's even a thought that they might keep two because Motter and O'Malley could both play the outfield. Maybe they keep both those guys and keep neither Heredia or Gamble. So what do you think? Do you think that that's the way they're going to go? Or? Oh, we'll figure it out. I, look, Scott Service gives you the line, we're going to lead the league in hair. Yeah. Sometimes you got to write it. Like our yeah. buddy John McGrath is columnist in Tacoma. I swear sometimes he'll think of one line yeah. and writes an entire column around it. <laughs> I've like, done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Scott Service gave you, we're going to lead the league in hair. And then, yeah. and then I like you had told me, but... Zach Curtis was a, like a little bit of an epiphany when you talked to him, yeah. wasn't he? The guy's got some personality. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you love to, you love finding guys with personality. You know, I never got a chance to talk to Motter because the, the the day that I had it set up and wanted to talk to him was the day that he hurt his back and he was in the training room all day. So, I, I you know, he looks like he has some personality too. But so I had to write it without talking to him. But, uh, you know, yeah, you you love guys who are good talkers and good quotes and uh, and that sort of thing in our business. All right. I'm trying to think what else did you write? What have you written? Uh, let's see. I wrote about the uh, Logel Bach. Oh, yes. Uh, who is an interesting guy in this camp. You know, he had to... He, he was given the... The challenge of, of becoming more flexible and more and, you know quicker, maybe losing some weight, and he kind of threw himself into it with his brother, who is a trainer, a personal trainer. So he had back in Fort Myers, uh, Florida, which is the hometown of Deion Sanders. I forgot to ask him about that. Uh, and Deion Sanders' name came up today with oh, yeah. uh, with uh, Scott Service, Service yeah. with the Reds. Um, but uh, let's see, I've lost my train. Oh, you wrote about. Ruiz yeah, today. Yeah, today I wrote about Carlos Ruiz and kind of his leadership, uh, kind of quiet leadership. He, I know he, he scares the, the scares crap the, out of He you. scares the crap out of everyone. <laughs> I, 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 the guy, 
the guy is the most serious human being on the planet. I, look, I like Carlos Ruiz because we're roughly the same height, yeah. same body build, same overall demeanor where we seem to hate everyone. It's great. <laughs> and you know, and he, you're both pussycats and, yeah. and it's all a facade. Was it, was it a facade yeah, when you talked Yeah, he was very friendly and very cooperative. And uh, you know, when it was over, he patted me on the back and said, hey, thanks, buddy. And, you know, so, uh, and his English is pretty good. He's been here a long time. He's from Panama. But uh, you know he he has kind of a quiet uh, uh, presence about him, c- kind of a charisma that I think you know he was one of the most popular guys on that Phillies team. That oh yeah, was, you know they had Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Jason Worth and yeah, well Utley uh, has Jimmy no Rollins Utley has no personality though. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, yeah. those other guys do. Yeah, no, Raul Labanya's raved about him the times I've talked to Raul, and I trust Raul's character guys. I, yeah, Chooch is. I mean, think about like you just mentioning some of the guys he's mm-hmm. played with. Yeah. I mean, he's got a ring. He's caught Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee. I mean, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswalt, Joe oh, Blanton. Wow. Uh, well, Joe Blanton. Nah. But- yeah. Yeah. When I. One year when I was making my uh, my rounds of uh, spring training, it happened to be the year that they they had those aces and they yeah. had a big. I was there the first day of camp and they had a press conference with the aces. So there was like on a podium there was uh, there was Halliday, Lee, Oswalt, Hamels, and then they felt so bad they had they had Joe Blanton up there with them it was like which one of these is not like the other <laughs> the fifth starter and so like the, all the questions were to those other four and Joe just kind of sat there and uh, and uh, and like squirmed and it was kind of stupid to have him with them. probably had a huge dip in his lip you know <laughs> yeah no it's yeah Chooch is an interesting guy I mean I, I if he if he if Zanino struggles a little bit, I think you could see him play. Yeah. I mean, I you could see him play two to three times a week. Scott Service has said that, it, and I I do think this, and this hasn't been, this this hasn't gone unnoticed, and, I, and it's been hinted at. But Carlos Ruiz has caught Felix Hernandez a lot this spring during bullpens and and um, and live batting practice, and Carlos doesn't screw around, and he doesn't allow Felix to because he gives him the. I'm going to beat you to death with my bat stare, and so Felix pays attention. Um, but I, I do think that we may see Carlos Ruiz catch Felix. I mean, the way it's set up, Ruiz caught today. Uh, Monday is a different starting and Felix scheduled Tuesday. I would guess that, that Carlos Ruiz catches Felix on Tuesday. So I, I don't think this is a knock on Mike Zanino, who Felix loves. Mm-hmm. But I do think that having Ruiz around is, is not a bad thing, and I think we may see that a little bit. You know, in, in researching the column, I read a, a, there was a Sports Illustrated cover story by the great Gary Smith, who's one of the, yes. you know, the, the preeminent. Uh, this pro- isn't a story about a catcher, yeah. but it's a story that will get you into it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He's an incredible profiler. Uh, and he had this quote from Ruiz about how uh, when he's catching, he him and the pitcher are one he 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 tries to become the pitcher he says when when we when you know we're i'm as responsible as the pitcher for for what happens because i become him whoever you know when it's hamels he takes on his personality when it was halliday he would take on his personality so i'd like to see how that works with felix you know how he becomes felix hernandez and uh, um, that will be something to definitely watch and i agree with you he could end up kind of being his his personal maybe his personal catcher this year which which maybe we'll get some 30 starts right there if all goes well for the Mariners. But, you know, probably won't be every single time. But Yeah, so if, if he becomes one with Felix Hernandez, when we go talk to Chooch after games, he's saying, fastball pretty good, change up pretty good. I don't know, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, fastball real good. Um, now, 
Yeah, I. It'll be interesting. Yeah, and I'm gonna have to go read that Gary Smith story, and you should always read it. Yeah. If you never read Gary Smith before, go read it. Shadow of a Nation. That's like my favorite oh, one. So yeah. go read it. Um, what's the other good ones that I like? Oh, oh R- Ripples of Little Lake Nelly about the two pitches. Yeah, and the one about the that he made the movie out about the the, the manager. Oh, Radio Radio Radio. Yeah, Radio. He yeah. wrote that one and. Uh, uh. Yeah, there was a who was the the troubled basketball player? Oh, Richie Parker. Richie Parker was one of his masterpieces. Yeah, he did one on um, Ian Thorpe, the torpedo, the swimmer from Australia was good. He, there's a book of his collective writings. It's yeah. He, he, the one thing is, like, as a writer, you go and read that, and it's just really galling because you're just like, yeah, I'll never yeah, be no, that good. Exactly. That's the way I felt. You know, just as an aside, but. Uh, Frank DeFord was the was the Gary Smith of my oh, yeah. you know when I was growing up and there's, I, there's rabbits everywhere the Bobby Knight that was a great line yeah and he wrote one about Howard Cosell that you know I still and the, the toughest coach the meanest coach who ever lived I mean these yeah. yeah it's been 30 40 years since I read these stories and I can I can remember them vividly um, you know Frank DeFord I think paved the way for a lot of today's style of writing oh, yes. uh, Including, I, I bet you Gary Smith would uh, would acknowledge a debt to him. There's uh, that book, Greatest Sports Writing of the Century. Mm-hmm. Go find it. Go read it. It's really <laughs> good. And believe me, I've read it cover to cover many times. All right. Um, so we're getting. I yeah, I wrote about the Cubans the last two days. Yeah. Ariel Miranda, Guillermo Heredia. One more to go. Yeah, I got Leonis. one more. Leonis. I got, I'm actually going to write about him a little bit. He's changed his swing notice noticeably where he's placing his hands which is very similar to kind of how Gene Segura holds him. He hopes it'll hit the ball to right field more um, or left field more. You know, I we don't – the one thing is we don't have any camp battles to really write about yeah. per se, so you're kind of stuck writing about these guys. I mean, we really don't – I'm trying to think if I found anybody – well, look – uh, Vieira. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've 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 been stalking Tiago Vieira, Chiara as he or Chiago Vieira. Um, he explained, he pronounced it, and as big as that guy is, well, however yeah, he wants it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you follow me on Twitter and I post it on the blog or on the site as well, like um, I go in and you know video him throwing and get right behind the catcher in the bullpen, and it's terrifying. Like today, I posted one and. Um, he threw a fastball and had run and just handcuffed the poor catcher. I mean, it looked like it broke his thumb. And then in the background, you can hear Pete Harnish saying, 105 with run. You know, that's pretty good. You know, and it wasn't 105, but I bet you it was 101, 102. I had a couple scouts back there on the backfield watching him throw today, and they were just amazed. And one of the scouts asked me, he goes, hey, can you send me that video? I, I kind of want to keep it. Um, yeah. So he's been interesting. Do you think... I think he won't be there till about June. I think they want to slow play it as much as as good as he is, and I think he's really good. Although we'll see. I think in two days he throws off in a game. I think they want to be careful. I don't think they want to overwhelm him because he was awful until last year. He was absolutely terrible until last year, and last year he figured it out. And I don't think that they want to do anything that would sidetrack that process. Yeah, I agree, but he's one of those guys that's going to be – Awfully tempting. He's going to yeah. tempt them if he if he has a lights out spring, you know where, and it's possible because he throws so hard and the pitchers are just are, you know so far ahead of the hitters. If he just blows everyone away and he's clearly one of the best five arms out of the bullpen, they're going to be tempted. I think to to keep him. I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to, and it probably may not be wise to. But that kind of arm. Uh, 
plays at this level, and he will be up. He's sort of, you know, like last year, Edwin Diaz came out of nowhere. He wasn't in camp, so we didn't get to see, you know, we didn't get to, yeah. you know, watch with mouth agape like we have been with uh, Chiago. Or yeah, Chiago. <laughs> Chiago. Uh, but now we're seeing, you know, my first day in camp, I had seen your video and read your stuff, and uh, I was just kind of idly watching the bullpen sessions, and I saw this big guy throwing smoke and I didn't realize who it was and I said who the heck is that then I realized who it was and I was mesmerized by him I mean he's incredible I mean he just he he is so clearly uh you know uh something special you you know you still have to harness that and get your breaking pitches over and all that um you know I think they'd be wise to let him you know bide their time a little bit but what a weapon that would be like like uh, Diaz to yeah. bring up in midseason and suddenly uh have this this new power arm to unleash for for the stretch drive yeah you know? yeah I mean, you're not you're not going to get a guy in a trade that's that yeah. that talented it was it's pretty amazing the the bullpen will be interesting cuz Cishek it looks like he won't be ready till about end of April mm-hmm. so you have to cover a month I, I it is weird Larry was here last year um, they actually have guys who can throw over 95 miles an hour last year you were watching Joel Peralta and and Nick well they didn't even have Nick Vincent but they yeah. they had all these guys that barely threw 91 92 and they're just trying to do it by location now you have Diaz you have Vieira you have Alta Villa you have Shea Simmons who looked really good the other day this Pe- James Pezos who's left-handed and throws 94 95 it's it's very different already in like the couple games we watch watching these guys and the practices watching these guys throw yeah, you know, Jerry's pretty excited about the bullpen. He pointed out, I talked, I kind of, when we were talking about the big three, it kind of uh, segued into a long discussion about the bullpen. And, uh, you know, Vincent, he he's not an overpowering guy, but his strikeout numbers are like that. Yeah. You know, what is it, about 10 per per nine innings? It's one of the better strikeout ratios uh, in the league. So there's something about his stuff that's got that, you know, a hit and miss quality to it. Uh, and he loves the power arms, and he, you know, we were talking about uh, Andrew Miller and how, and whether that's going to change the way teams deploy their 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 bullpen. And he pointed out that you kind of have to have to make that work. You have to have three of those guys, and they had, like the Indians did, they had the the closer, they had uh, Brian Shaw, and they had Miller. So you were able to, you could pick and choose Miller in the high leverage situations and have Shaw to work around it and then have uh, Cody Allen. Cody Allen, yes, name escaped me for a second, to, you know, lock down closer. And he thinks the Mariners have the potential for that sort of back end of the bullpen. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's better. It's just when you have hard throwers, you can make mistakes and you don't get beat as often. They use Nick Vincent way too much and in a lot of situations where he wasn't suited for. Evan Scribner will help them out. He throws strikes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he's got a good breaking ball. I, basically, that's what I think their bullpen is, is like you know, Diaz is the closer, and until Cishek gets back, it's Shea Simmons, Alta Villa, Vincent, Scribner, and then whoever Mark Zepchinski, the one lefty, and then whoever the lefty is going to be, whether it's Ariel Miranda, mm-hmm. who wants to be a starter, but I think he probably would rather be a reliever in the big leagues and get a big league paycheck than a triple-A starter's paycheck. Um, and then you have Pezos. Nick Hagedone looked okay today. 
Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. Zach Curtis, Overton. yeah, Dylan Overton, who is a starter, but they could look at using him there because he has some versatility. I personally, just to interject, I think they'd be well served to keep Miranda at, in the Tacoma rotation as a starter because they really don't have much starting depth behind the five that are penciled in there. You, know, you do have, you know, Heston, who looked pretty good today and has won at the big league level but regressed last year. But, you know, chances are that one of those five is either going to get hurt or uh, not be very good. And you need – I think you have to have a couple of guys at Tacoma ready to put in that rotation. And if you have Miranda suddenly not stretched out in the bullpen, then – you know, you could be hurting if somebody came up hurt, uh, uh, sore, or had to be scratched in, uh, like like May or something. So, you know, if it were up to me, my, I would my decision would be to have Miranda in Tacoma's rotation ready to go and find another uh, second lefty out of the, that group that you mentioned. I mean, because the other guys like Pezos and Overton are on the forty man, so it's not a big deal to put them on. You, you know, you can kind of shuffle them out. Um, Overton is a starter, but he does have some versatility. Hagedon has a lot of talent. I think they, because he's not on the 40-man, they don't want to burn a spot right away. And plus, I think they want to see if he can post and, and go back-to-back and do some other things in Tacoma. He hasn't thrown in basically two years. But you, you watched him today, and it was it was coming out of his hand pretty hard today. I, I sound like a scout. Coming out of his hand pretty good. Uh, so I, it'll be interesting. I mean, that's it's weird, like, there really is that not that much competition in camp for that other spot. That spot, I, I guess Casey Fien is a guy they picked up that they like. Who's a righty? He has some. He's been okay too. I mean, he has some pretty good movement. Some of the hitters were talking about how much late movement he has. Has a pretty good cutter. So I, I do think they have better options than they did a year ago at this time. But then again, a year ago they thought they had pretty good options, and Ryan Cook and Evan Scribner got hurt immediately. Yeah. So and they didn't have Diaz and they didn't have Altaville or any of these guys. So I, I think that they'll be okay in that regard. And don't don't discount uh, Trader Jerry. I mean, he picked up he picked up Vincent with a week to go in spring training last year, and he turned into one of the most valuable relievers. So you know, if things aren't going well, uh, he could well easily swing a move to to supplement that bullpen in the last week or so. Yeah, his his favorite move is to look at forty man. I mean, all teams do this, but they have scouts here looking at guys that are on the forty man that could be taken off in DFA when right before opening day as possible fits and so i'm sure he's got guys looking out there right now going you know looking at camp saying well this guy playing the roster game if he's not going to make it we should take a look at him because a lot of times you're not trying to claim off waivers you can make a trade for a low-level prospect because the team will just want to get something out of it sure so i think that's a that's how he got heston that's how he got some of these other guys he's looked at guys that were going to be a dfa and and he went after him and, and completed trade so We'll look at the bullpen. Um, starters, we haven't seen a whole lot. We're two days in. Hmm. Um, anybody else catch your eye? Besides Nelson Cruz, who hit two bombs Yeah, already. Nelson Cruz looks like he's ready for, for opening day. Right or now. also bodybuilding competition. Yeah, well, when it comes to bodybuilding competitions, oh, yeah. we, I mean, Tyler O'Neill is yeah. uh, first, second, and third. I mean, that guy is a walking muscle. Yes, he's... <laughs> God, God, it... It's amazing though. He runs well. He runs better than you think. Like on that double today, mm-hmm. and he plays so hard. Like everything is so serious about him. He, uh, he really just you know when the when he gets in that mode, he just kind of gets after it. I like that. I, I like the kid. I, you know, I think he's got a lot of personality. I, I don't think we'll see him until maybe June, but yeah, you know, it's, he's another kind of. Uh, he could be a difference maker. You know, down the stretch if he's. Uh, 
maybe not, but if he develops, if he keeps developing and advancing the way he has the last two years, where he keeps taking major steps forward, you know, he he could be really a big addition at midseason. Um, well, it's not it's not impossible to see him being a fourth outfielder type and splitting time with with uh, Dyson in left field. You know what I mean? If they yeah. if, if they, they, Dyson struggles against lefties and they they don't plan to play him against the lefties all the time. You know, if O'Neill is putting up huge numbers, you can put him in and and use him at the big league level. I, I mean, he, he's advanced far enough, and you're in that mode now. Again, that's kind of like you're you're adding a guy without giving up anybody as well. Um, I'm trying to think, of anybody else you like? Well, the the these things that caught my eye in that first game was their their running game. Oh yeah, you know, you wrote about it, but uh, uh, you know, part of that game I wasn't watching too closely because I was working. I was madly trying to finish my story on the big three on you know so so it'd get there in time. But uh, in the fifth or sixth inning, Dyson singled. It was the score was tied three to three. And he stole second and came home on an O'Malley single. Yeah, that wasn't hit very hard. That wasn't hit very hard. But that was, I think, uh, sort of the blueprint for part of the way they want to run their offense this year around the the big boppers is to is to do that. You know, have have uh, Dyson put pressure on the other team, run, run a lot, hit and run, steal bases. Uh, and that could be an effective uh, thing if you could do that at the top of the order. You know, you got Le- Leonis hitting ninth, and then followed by Dyson, followed by Segura. So that's three speed guys in a row that could set it up for uh, for um, Cano, Cruz, and Seager. And uh, you know, the, I think I think uh, Service is looking forward to. To deploying those guys and and he he, he said he, he's made the comment a couple of times that the Mariners were too comfortable to face he'd noticed in, in yeah. past years he, they, there was nothing you really had to prepare for uh, when you face them and I don't think that's going to be the case this year no and they, they'll what they'll do they they ran a double steal with uh, Sean O'Malley and Guillermo Heredia for a run service said they're going to run during the spring. They're going to test this out and see what limitations are. Uh, Mitch Hanniger plans to run some in the spring. He thinks he can steal 20 bases. Uh, so they're, you know, that's something to watch, how they use this speed, how they deploy it in terms of strategy. You've got to test it out uh, in these games to see if it works. You're going to see Gerard Dyson and Segura steal third base with two outs. Service doesn't hate that. Now, there's a precursor. He don't want Kyle Seager stealing third with two outs. <laughs> but if if Dyson or Segura can get there, he likes the idea of the added pressure of the guy being at third, not just on second. You know, maybe on the defense or whatever. So you may see that they're going to try out a bunch of different things. The other thing that they kind of did in that first game that is instructive of kind of the plan they built. Segura in that first inning, he doubles down the left field line. You've got first base open, right-handed pitcher on the mound. He basically pitches around Cano, which is odd because it's the first spring training game. Uh, although he's a Padres pitcher, so maybe he wasn't really <laughs> pitching around him. It's too uh, bad he just didn't hold up yeah, four fingers, four fingers so, we so we could yeah, see, yeah, the, see uh, that. Yeah. But uh, so he, he moved. He moved the. Um, so he, you know they put Cano on, and then Cruz hits a homer because you know you have to pitch to him. So I, I think that's that's another kind of thing that they wanted. Today we sat through one of the more. Well, it's more two games in, so it can't be the worst. But the Padres, I, th- I think it'll stand up. I think we'll look back on April third, and we will agree that that still was the worst game we saw all spring. The, the Padres walked fourteen guys, yeah. including six in one inning. Yeah, it was excruciating. Yeah. I think they're going to be terrible. Oh, they're they're so bad. I think 
Well, the Mariners pitchers still haven't walked anybody is no, that right? in two not, games, and yeah. so the, so the uh, control the zone uh, stats are going to be uh, <laughs> yeah, they, pretty much what service uh, would would dream about. Was service like, and Depoto and Andy McKay, yeah. they're probably putting those on a whiteboard right now and yeah. celebrating. The over under there is like plus. Uh, by plus 16 now <laughs> after two games and they've outscored the Padres 26 to 5 I think in two games so you know the, there's no Vetter Cup this year because the Mariners aren't playing the Padres as the, their natural rival but so it's going to be so it's all spring training the Mar- I think the Mariners clinched the, the spring training Cactus League Vetter Cup today after two games I'm, I'm still in mourning over not getting out of San Diego <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, this, it sorry to bring me. it up I'm, no tin fish no yeah, gas lamp it no hurts beaches. me no it hurts me it hurts me deep <laughs> Um, well, let's see what else we got. We're, I think we're 30, we're 43 minutes in. So (laughs) this is about our limit. So we'll cut it off here. And then the next time I talk to Larry, will probably be via Skype. So this gives him about eight days to figure out what his password is. I could actually book a flight. Come here to, to record this and then fly home just so I don't have to use the Skype. <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, newspapers being the functioning business that we are, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, no, yeah. We'll, um, no, we'll probably record one in a week. I've also lined up Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs to talk about Felix and some stuff. So maybe I'll try and get that before I force Larry back on here as well. Um, and until then, we'll probably solicit some questions for the next podcast as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thanks to the official house band of the x Trainings podcast, Midnight Salvage Company out of Tacoma. Uh, big thanks to Brayson for sending me those MP3s. Uh, if you need to contact me about the podcast or anything else, uh, hit me up on email at rdivish at Seattle Times or on Twitter at Ryan Divish. Uh, thank you for listening.